Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we're discussing Andor Episode 6, The Eye, with myself and uh, Paul Hoppy, along with returning guest Danielle of Written in the Star Wars, TikTok, and Twitter fame. We were really excited to, to hear Danielle's thoughts on a couple things before. Glad to have her back for Andor, which I know she's been really excited about. And we'll have all that for you in just one moment after a commercial break that we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. Use they, them pronouns. Um, Paul, good to have you as always. You want to say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. I'm uh, Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, and uh, I'm still enjoying Andor, even though this episode had the first thing that like I found irritating, I think, in the entire series. And if you can go six episodes and only find one thing that irritates me, you're making yep. a really good show. <laughs> or yeah, at least I one that I love. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, and Danielle, you've been a guest on before, uh, but say hello and tell, us, tell folks a little bit about you. Hi, I'm Danielle. I'm glad to be back. You can find me on TikTok at Written in the Star Wars or on Twitter at DannyS394. And I loved this episode just like I've loved the other ones, but this one was a banger for sure. <laughs> Nice. I've known you were one of the people I definitely wanted to get on to talk about Andor because you were super excited about it. Even as we, I think you were one of the people who had a countdown on your uh, Twitter account getting ready for it. Talk a bit about why the show is so important to you and sort of how you felt about it overall. Uh, this show is really important to me because uh, Cassian Andor is played by Diego Luna, as we all know, and he is Latino. He's Mexican and I am Mexican-American and it's always been really heartening to have him in Star Wars ever since he first joined with Rogue One and to have a show in Star Wars that is led by a Latino man who it doesn't have his helmet on the whole time. I love Pedro Pascal mm -hmm. in The Mandalorian, but there is something about kind of unmasking and having, you know, yeah. the, the full accent, having his face front and center of this is just really important to me and I think to a lot of people in the Latina community. AJ Star, uh, AJ Jedi Star Killer, also of TikTok fame, who was our guest last week, he was talking in specific about how important the accent was. Mm. You know, because like if you know um, uh, Pedro Pascal's voice, like there's a little bit of that accent with Mando, but I think it's very easy to miss. Here, it's much more pronounced, and yeah, I can see how that that as well is such an important part of like who this character is and what representation is bringing into Star Wars. Yeah, definitely. And just the, the fact that he was able to keep his accent, I think, is so is a big deal for a lot of people. And, um, you know, Spanish wasn't my first language, but it was mm -hmm. my mom's and half my family speaks it. And uh, it feels a little bit like kind of like being at home, being around family mm -hmm. when I hear him speak. I love that. Um, I love that they managed to take, you know, Diego Luna's natural accent and both preserve it for, you know, its representation of, uh, you know, Spanish speaking um, person. Right. But then within the context of the show, they make it like play for something else mm -hmm. that like sort of stands right. in, you know, and um, and, you know, so they make it really work within the context of the show. Right. And and like have like the, meaning beyond just like because there's a lot of different accents, right, that you hear throughout Star Wars now. Um, and I, I feel like this show and then some other shows before it kind of challenge us to get more comfortable with that within the context of Star Wars. But then here he actually has an accent 
that's like a canary accent. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of what they're saying, right? Um, yeah. I mean, what, one thing they've established, even going beyond the accent, is that, um, you know, English, which in this universe is galactic basic, was not his first language. Mm-hmm. So he's he's speaking a language that's not his, like the language he was raised in originally. So and yeah, the, I think that ties in really well. And the Canary language was uh, influenced by Spanish, Portuguese, and um, Magyar, Malet- I think is what it was. Um, okay. Yeah, so there were three influences. And I know a lot of um, Latine people on Twitter and TikTok were wondering once we heard the the language, we're kind of like, it kind of sounds like there's some Spanish in there, maybe a little Portuguese. And when they officially announced it through the website, we were all like, yes, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> so happy. It, it, there's just a level of intentionality there, mm-hmm. you know, that I was never quite sure with like in the prequels, I think we had some pretty racist use of accents. And then we just sort of had like, okay, this particular group of aliens are Scottish and this particular group are <laughs> South are from South Africa. Right. And like, you know, who knows? Um, so the what have you thought of the an- accents of <laughs> oh. the, um, uh, Harris, Harris people? Oh the, yeah. The, the Twi'leks. Twi'leks. Yeah. Twi'leks had, can be either English or French origin. Yeah. Right. Um, they're, they're Belgium, I think is the way you look at it. Um, uh, so, how you enjoyed the show so far up to this episode? Oh, I've loved it. Um, I was really glad that they released the first three all at once. I see why they mm-hmm. did that now. Um, I think that it, I, you know, people who are excited for the show are going to stick with it through the whole thing. But people who were maybe on the fence about it, uh, I think it was important to have that kind of momentum carried through the first three episodes and show this is how this show is going to go. It's going to be three episode arcs. If you feel like it's going slow, by the third episode, you're not going to feel that way anymore. And I think it was a really smart move. And I've just enjoyed getting to know all the new characters and getting as many episodes as we're getting. I still can't believe there's six more episodes to go. (laughs) So excited. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that three-episode arc, it's working a lot more than I think Mm -hmm. some of the others have worked in terms of giving you those little stories, but also just so much more. And I, I hope that it's not get introduced to characters who will then die within three episodes the whole 24 episode way long <laughs> yeah. but it pro- it's probably going to be like i think there's going to be a lot of that <laughs> meet five interesting characters two of them will survive five more two of them yeah. will survive yeah. it's the hunger games uh star Bix, wars hero Vix is still alive that's the Bix perk of her not alive. being in these three episodes yeah. i've decided yep. is that there was yeah. no opportunity for her to die <laughs> it it reminds me of the wire but like in Fast Forward, where in The Wire, every season, they would introduce like a new group of characters and like kill off half of them. And then mm-hmm. the, and but every time they would be these like complex, like characters that felt like somehow they developed them really fast. Like mm-hmm. I felt like yeah. I knew these characters as people like way faster than usually it'll take. It's like they don't just give you like one interesting thing about the character. Oh, that's the one who likes carrots. Okay. <laughs> right. You know, like I don't I don't know where that came from. Yeah, like but, I mean yeah. we we joke in Star Trek about the red shirt, but it was the idea right. that you always put someone in the mission who the audience has never heard of so they can die mm-hmm. in order to sort of let you know people can die without killing off one of your characters. And the fact that here we we were officially introduced to all these people in episode four. We didn't really get to know them until episode five. And like, obviously, I think Nyak's death is one we're going to be talking about. But I, I was pretty affected by all three of the deaths of the people we met, you know, um, because we had we had really gotten a chance to learn Lieutenant and um, four, I, I was right? Cameron. Four. It's not that. Um, Tamar. Tamar. Yeah. 
Tamarin and what was the lieutenant's name? Was it Gorn? Gorn. Goss? Gorn. 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 Thank you. Yeah, Gorn and Tamarin. Like I thought their deaths also hit me pretty hard. It's given how little time we had with them, they did really an amazing job, like making us care about these characters. Yeah, it's I weird. Agree. Like, no, like I felt nothing except mm-hmm. like at the and the one character I felt some irritation, but not for like I don't know. Like I feel like the characters, I liked them, but also it just. To me, it's a little bit like with Rogue One, where it's just like, I just know that, I mean, Andor says to um, Jin, like, you're not the only one who lost everything, right? Mm-hmm. So when you come into the series, it's like, just, you just know that a lot of the characters are going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. clearly that's his backstory, right? And and so I think that they, on the one hand, I sort of feel like they they telegraphed that that was likely to be what's going to happen really well in a way that I actually kind of appreciate. I like it when a series kind of tells you what it's about early on, you know, mm-hmm. but then also managed to throw in one, I thought, very effective surprise, um, which we'll get to. Um, but then also, like, I feel like most of the deaths were very matter of fact mm. in a way where it's like it, for the most part, doesn't feel like overtly manipulative the way you know there's not a lot of big swells of music it's like mm-hmm. you know there's right. a battle and someone gets shot and they're dead you know and it's like yeah. oh yeah that that happens it sucks you know and and people are upset but it's like there's not time to like really feel a lot over it you know and i'm not saying like if you whatever you feel like yeah cool awesome you know um but just like for me i feel like it hits different emotionally or doesn't in the same way kind of just because of i guess expectation i don't know yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, you speaking about that reminded me kind of like how it is in the Clone Wars, uh, mm. when you see so many clones die mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't really realize it. Well, for me, the first time I watched the Clone Wars, I was like, wow, a lot of these clones are dying. That's sad. And then I got to the end, felt really connected to the clones yeah. by the end of my first watch of the Clone Wars. And then going back to watch it again, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> You get to know the name of this clone and then he's gone. The name of this one, they're gone. And it happens so fast. Like even with Echo, when he dies, um, it's just like that. And he was a major character. And um, that is, that's how war is in the heat of the battle. It happens and you don't have time to mourn in that moment. Yeah, I definitely see this thing sometimes where people say like, oh, I'm mad because this character didn't get the death they deserved, you mm-hmm. know, where and they kind of want that big like swell of music. And they're the, you know, the ship's about to take off, but they're the one who says like, I'll be the last one to defend us. And like, I'm glad that cause, yeah, you're right. That's not how war works. You know, people die because they get shot. People die because the ship's trying to take off and you don't have everything strapped down and something yeah. falls like Talk about a dumb way to die in a way. Like, that's not a great heroic death. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a real death for a heroic character. Yeah. And, and I just like that a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Should, should I get into that being my one peeve? Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Go so ahead. we could just, like, get that out of the way. Like, I found uh-huh. – I was – one of my but, biggest By the peeves, way, I think you know yeah. this, but major spoilers for oh. all of episode six. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're not going to do the kind of episode summary because it just came out. I hope you've just watched it within the last 24 hours when you're listening to this. But yeah, go ahead. For sure. There was a heist. They get away with money. Half of them die. And <laughs> one of them, like, gets crushed. Nemec, right? And, like, then is shot up with some adrenaline or something. 
and is okay-ish for a minute, and then they take him to a doctor, and then he dies. And, like, that whole thing, and then she handed, and then uh, Vel hands Cassian, you know, Nemec's manifesto. That whole thing, that was the only thing that has really irritated me in the series. Um, and it just, it just feels fairly artificial to me, you know? And, and like a little bit manipulative in terms of like, oh, he might die. No, he's okay. Oh, no, he's dead, you know? And, um, I mean, yeah, like sometimes people get injured and then they're maybe going to be okay and then they die. Like that is a thing that happens, right? And sometimes people just get crushed by something heavy because they're not strapped in. And so, it, you know, they didn't like belabor it. And so it's like a four on a scale of one to 10 in terms of like writing that feels artificial to me and annoys me. So it's like, that's like pretty low, you know, but like it definitely felt, I, that was like almost the only time I felt the hand of the writer, you know, mm-hmm. whereas throughout the, everything else has always in this series very much kind of rung true to me in a sense of like, no, that's just, that's just what would happen. And here it feels like, yeah, I guess that's what could happen. You know, it doesn't strain credulity. Although, like, I don't know. I feel like in Star Wars by now, it feels like, do you really need any of your innards to survive anymore? You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and that's one of the things when people talk about, like, um, this or that character surviving something or other kind of cheapening death is like, it does sort of make it like, well, when someone doesn't survive, it's like, why didn't they survive? Like Qui-Gon just wasn't angry enough, you know, <laughs> like to survive just a little saber hole, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but that's, that's the only negative thing I'll actually say about this entire episode. Um, and I'm done. <laughs> well, do you know, I see So I see your point and I've been mm-hmm. thinking, um, because, you know, obviously this is an opportunity for um, Skeen to get to prove how manipulative he's been and right. how much he's lied and how much he he just wants the money. And he needed to get to a place where he could take that money before yeah. it gets taken. And so I've been kind of wondering, and I don't know if they'll go into this. I don't know if they allowed them the space to go into to this. Did he manipulate... Uh, oh, like he Nimic? wanted Nemec to get crushed? Yeah, like did he not secure something the way oh. he was supposed to? Mm. And then he got crushed and that led to them needing to go to the doctor that was already in the contingency. I, I feel like I definitely need to rewatch it because I like I certainly I didn't go so far as him arranging it because I think he sort of assumed someone would get wounded, yeah. which I think is quite likely, or that it was kind of just a crime of opportunity for him. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely got the sense that like – the reason why we went there was not because of a like, oh, will he, won't he die? But yeah, as you said, it was that that he was trying to get – he didn't want them to go back to camp. He wanted them to go to this place where he could rob everybody. Yeah, and he would have gone uh, yeah. through any means to do that. But I, I that is still very like – it would have had to have been carefully done and I don't know if they actually did that. So I do see your yeah. point, Paul. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I had a similar point in that – what do you think were the stick? Because what, as Paul has said, they gave him an adrenal shot of some kind or a med shot, and then he was conscious enough to give uh, Cassian the, the the coordinates so that they could safely fly through the 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 eye while the other Tie fighters couldn't, and then they could escape. But it was clear that there were some kind of stakes. Like like um, Vel seemed like she didn't want to do that. I, I was wondering if what they're trying to imply was something where like. This would give him a burst of energy, but actually might like make it less likely that he survives long term or something. Mm-hmm. But they didn't actually sit. Like, did you get the sense there were some kind of stakes attached to that, to what was happening there? 
I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'll have to rewatch it for that because I don't know that I noticed um, when I watched it that Vel was hesitant to do that. Um, just that she was trying to do something, but that right. is an interesting point. I don't know because he is the only one who would have been able to get them out of that. And if the whole right. point was to to, sur- to survive, to get that payroll to the rebellion, then I don't know why she would be hesitant to do that, but I'm not positive. I know she was so, hesitant to take him to the doctor. Yeah. Right. I think there's a, there's a couple things going on there. One, I, I think it's very interesting to contemplate whether Skeen wanted Nemec to get injured. I think he couldn't have like rigged that that way or tried to arrange that because of the chance of Nemec dying mm-hmm. and then them all just being totally hosed. True. Um, mm-hmm. I think him getting injured was sort of a happy coincidence for mm-hmm. Skeen, who then I think said, oh, he's the reason that we're doing this rebellion. Like, that was a load, right? Yeah. That was him clearly manipulating, trying to get them to go to the doctor, which I do think Vel was hesitant to go to the doctor because she saw that, you know, that's out of the way, right? And maybe we'll get mm-hmm. robbed. She didn't think it would be by Skeen, but she definitely, I think, thought, you know, we need to get this where it needs to go as soon as possible, perhaps even at the cost of, of a team member. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I I don't know about in terms of, like, the, the sort of, like, med shot or whatever. Like, I think her hesitation, we'd seen her hesitation earlier in the episode, right? She's not, like, yeah. a confident leader at this point. She's... Mm-hmm. She wants to lead. Um, we, you know, when her conversation conversation with Luthen, I think, led us to believe like that this was like a new thing for her being, you know, a leader um, that perhaps she'll grow into. You know, she made it out of this episode. Hopefully she'll like learn some things from the experience and maybe go on to be, you know, a character further down the line who who kind of grows. Right. And like this was sort of like the op that they kind of botched, but also succeeded Right. It's like right. a 30% success. Maybe they got like a third of the money and they escaped with like three sevenths of their team, except not even at the end. And like, I do think it like, becomes pretty standard for Andor's level of success. Right. Exactly. Yeah, 30%, that's about right. That's about right. You know, um, I do think like having the healer, the, the one with like healing experience being the one who's not planned to go with the escape crew makes the least sense. You know, maybe she's the one who they, who can blend in the most with the the Donny. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that I, was a little odd. I now want to go back and check to see if, like, at any point during the discussions, Skeen was one of the ones who recommended that she not be with with them. Like, I don't oh, think right. so, but like yeah. that would be a really good way of just very subtly foreshadowing. Yeah, it's one um, of those things we're rewatching episodes four and five now. Is going to be like it's like rewatching the Usual Suspects. From you know, after you've yeah. seen it, first, you're like, oh, this is. There's something different going on here now. Yeah. And I think it's funny because I, I wasn't annoyed quite the way you were, but I thought I was bothered by, but I think you have helped talk me into that's okay. I at first really didn't like the turn from Skeen. Oh. And I think okay. it was because, like, it wasn't that it didn't feel believable. It's that I so loved the connection him and Andor felt in mm-hmm. the last episode, especially because – we were now saying that like a big part of Andor's stuff is that not only is he the sort of person out of place, the kind of immigrant experience and all that that he has, but that he's grown up in whatever's the galactic, you know, version of the foster care slash juvenile detention system, which is generally a pretty awful system. It seems like it's a pretty awful system. And like having done a lot of work counts in that, in that, in that kind of world and things like that, like I'm very well aware that like 
often one of the results is an awful lot of childhood trauma, which leaves someone very suspicious, very jaded, very hard to connect with others. And so the way those two connected about that shared death, that shared experience, but in a very like, that's all the apology you're going to get. That's all I need. You know, it, it was so real and believable and I loved it. And I wanted more of that, that when they took that away, I was so angry. Mm. But yeah, then looking back on it, I'm like, no, okay, but it does really work and it makes sense. And it's like, yeah, that's if, if you're going to steal money, like it's, you know, you can't vet people to find out why they're in your rebellion. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of a like... It's a truism even now, you know, like people go to rallies for not great reasons sometimes. Uh, you know, my dad talked about like, yeah, you went to to, to, to rallies in the 60s because that's where you could find dates. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> like there's all kind of this stuff. Um, but but yeah, so like I I came out being really OK with it. But first I was like, no, no, give give me the guy with because I had also felt like part of why he had adopted Nemec was because Nemec has become mm. his new younger brother. Mm. Right, right. You know, and that was such a beautiful connection. Yeah. And they took it all away from us, but Do you it know, was fine. And <laughs> that's like, oh, that's the power of it though, is that it was so it was the first time I think Cassian was starting to trust people outside mm. of the people that he grew up with and that he has chosen to trust throughout his life. And then that was just pulled out from under his feet. And it right. really kind of speaks, I think, to when we see him in Rogue One he is quite hesitant still to trust people even in the rebellion. And that's why yeah. it's so hard for him yeah. to trust Jen at first because he doesn't know if she's lying. He doesn't know if she's going to pull through for him. And she does in the end and because they're basically the same person. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's what it really was just like, well, dang, this is where how he got to where he was really. Yeah. yeah. I, I also want to add like, I think Skeen did connect with Cassian. Like that wasn't fake. He mm. thought he connected in a way where he thought this is the guy mm. that's going to rob the payroll with me. That's you a know? Good point. Mm. And when he's saying that to Cassian, the whole time I was thinking, and I think Cassian's thinking, okay, well, are you really going to let me take the $40 million and you're just going to take half or are you going to shoot me as soon as we get wherever right. we are? And he's like, well, what about your brother? And he's like, you know, I don't, I don't have a brother. And then I love that Cassian just shoots him. Yeah. He's just like, that's it. We're done. You know, you're clearly like, you know, this scheming, like, I don't trust you and you might kill me later. So I'm just going to kill you now and we're done. And that, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, do you think that um, it was when he admitted that he lied about the brother that it was truly like over for Cassian? Because Cassian actually did have a sister who he doesn't yeah. know what happened to and who he lost. And I think hearing that someone else had a brother that they lost was a big connector for him. And he may have gone along with it, maybe, if Skeen hadn't been like, yeah, I lied about my brother. And then Cassian was like, well, bye. <laughs> right, that's the deal breaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's such a good question because it's like, I, I, I was really wrestling for a while when he shot the guy because like mm. he is shooting someone who is in no way a threat, who has said, hey, this could be a fun idea, but hasn't like been like, I'm going to do this tomorrow unless you stop me. And to me, it's murder. Mm -hmm. But it's also like – I mean, it's nothing new. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like yeah, we had this whole long thing about how they showed the way he shot the the, mm -hmm. the kind of rent-a-cops yeah. as like he had to do it. But that's not well, – like that's not a Captain America move. You yeah. know, that's not your white cloak hero. And I think that's what I love about Andor because yeah. it's like I that is who he is and that's why I root for him because – 
the rebellion needs people like that. Right. But like if a jet, if Luke Skywalker did that, I'd be like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 Hard pass. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, he didn't it, have to do it though. He chose to do it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. could have just knocked the guy out and run. Yeah, you know, but he chose to shoot him in the face instead. Yeah, and that's and who I this guy is. That's I'm and okay I, with that. Good. Oh, well, mean. that's just so important to his character because when we see him in Rogue One, mm-hmm. he's trying to make up. For all the things that he's yeah, done. And right. you see that, especially in like the Rogue One novelization, when you get to go inside his, you know, inside his mind, inside his thoughts, he's thinking, I just have to do this one more thing and then everything will be okay. And then that's it. Like I've done mm. what I need to do for the rebellion. Right, I've done yeah. what I need to do. I've done my part and this will make up for it. One more thing and that'll make up for everything I've done in the past. And uh, that's how he rationalizes it in his mind until the point where Jen is like, no, we have to do this other thing. And right. he finally steps up and is like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is the one last this thing. This is the one yeah. last yeah. one, and it really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I saw on Twitter that you were reading the novelization. I was like, oh, good. We're getting her at the perfect time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All emotions and, and everywhere. It's, it, it's funny because I want there's so much more I want to go into about the whole episode, but just on this one third point, I think you're exactly right. In some ways, this makes what he does – even less justifiable, but also more understandable, that it's not a calculated, this person mm. will kill us later. It's, But it is the, I try so hard to never make myself vulnerable, and I made myself vulnerable to this one person, mm. and they took advantage of it, and they completely lied, and they manipulated it. And yeah, so I think the whole thing about the dead brother is like, it, well, to me, it's a combination of him being emotionally upset about it, but I also he's such a as emotional as he is, there is a kind of cold rationality to his actions. Mm. And I think there was also a part of like, if he can lie that deeply about everything, then yeah, we, none of us can ever trust this guy again. Yeah. So let's, so I, I think it's the brother is the final straw for him, but I think it's both of those things. So I don't think he really made himself vulnerable to him. You know, he didn't tell him about his sister, did he? No. I don't know. Right. Um, I don't think he ever opened up. He was just like, look, I'm here for the money. That's it. And that's why Skeen was like, oh, okay. Well, if you're here for the money, (laughs) you know, let's just do the money. Um, And I do think that he saw – I think it was very calculated. It was quick calculation, Mm -hmm. right? It was intuitive calculation. It wasn't, you know, long premeditated. But I think it was just like, yeah, this guy is willing to do whatever to, you know, to steal this money. And like I think he might kill me at some point. So I'm just going to kill him now. You know, yeah, just yeah. just tie it off, basically, you know, just get it like, over with. right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, sort of the way like spoilers for the born identity, but like, you know, <laughs> the way the CIA is basically like, oh, we have this rogue assassin. Let's just kill him. Like, we're not going to think yeah. about anything. Just kill him. Just tie it off, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and then when that doesn't go well, they're like, let's just kill the guy who's going to kill him and then tie that off. And, <laughs> you know, and it's like. Yeah, I I just think – I think Andor is making split-second judgments that are life or death, you know, for someone else Mm -hmm. decisions. Um, But I think they're calculations. I I don't think they're highly emotional. You know, it doesn't mean emotions don't have any role in it. You know, and I do think that he clearly didn't like this guy lying about something that he then connected with on some level. Mm -hmm. But I I do think overall I think he's very kind of like Mm -hmm. fast calculating – Oh, th- things are better for me if this person's dead. I'm just going to make them dead, basically. Yeah. So let me ask you both this. If Skeen hadn't done that, do you think Cassian still, once they land, is like, cool, give me my money right now. I'm out of here. 
Or do you think he might have been like, okay, we we kind of did something. Let let me find out what the next step is. I don't think he's at that point. Regardless, mm-hmm. um, I think that if anything, he would have been like, I told you what was going to happen. Like this is yeah. what happened. Right. Lots of people died, and that he would be like, I don't want like unless it's more planned. Like we saw how. Uh, astounded he was when they didn't know how to fly the the transport what? or the yeah. whatever it's called one of the, the the ship they ended up flying um and he was like are you kidding me but if you know if if i'm on the line i'm gonna be driving i'm gonna be flying this yeah. and so i don't think that he is yet at that point where he would be willing to join a rebellion for the sake of the rebellion and not for money like he is now right um, I think maybe Nimick's manifesto and a few other events will help him. I think he's well on the way, but he's not quite yeah. there yet. Yeah, I totally agree. I think I'm, I'm close to that. I, I think he was at least – my sense is that before that conversation, he would have at least wanted to go back and talk to Luthen again and been like, okay, let me let me just kind of hear out what – if you have like another offer for me. Yeah. And I think it was – I think so changed his mind about like, all right, I'm just done. I'm washing my hands with all these mm-hmm. people. But but yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think I don't think you can say he was ready to kind of sign up and you know he's not ready to be a captain yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. I think he was ready to take the money, go back home, you know, give it to Marva, and like then go off looking for his sister. And like if Luthen shows up and is like, hey, I've got another job for you, be like all right, what are the details? You know, I need right. some more money to continue doing what I need to do, you know? Yeah. Right. But I don't think he was like, ah, what uh, What else do we have on the rebellion docket today? You know? Yeah. Like, I think it's very fair. Yeah, he did so a lot of lot stuff to go home to, yeah. if nothing else. Right. Um, And his sister, who he was starting out looking yeah. for. And his brother, B2 Emo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do just want to point out one thing that was pointed out by a couple of people online and the like. Um, The last thing Nemec says to him is climb mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah, yeah and the last thing k2 said to yeah. him was climb yeah. which is just it's just a nice little like the writers are clearly like throwing in these little things that i appreciate mm-hmm. um so kind of pulling back to some of the overall themes of the episode one of the things that i've been really noticing and paul and i've been talking about and that i was going to be asking you a lot about danielle was kind of how we were being shown these imperial characters or, or characters who were kind of rent-a-cops for the empire who were kind of like they're not mustache twirling evil villains. You know, they're people who are working in bad systems and we might hate them for that or we might have sympathy for them, but they're they're complicated figures. This episode, we don't get Cyril. We get just a flash of the um, blonde woman who's in the uh, security service, whose name I forget. Det- but we Detra. get what is, I think, Detra, thank you. We get what is, I think, our first genuine uh, mustache twirler. In terms of the uh, the the kind of head officer of the uh, of this base, who you know comes out with this like fairly racist speech about the uh, indigenous people here, and it's pretty terrible to everyone else. And like I was the first like, there's a part of me that sort of thought like, oh okay, you're getting ready to have a lot of these people killed. So you're reminding us that they're not all Cyril. They're not all just people who want to look at the eye. There's some jackasses in this group, and we're okay shooting them. What did, did it feel like a little bit of a a switch to you in terms of how his character was introduced, or kind of what was your thoughts on all that? Well, I think that um, we've had so many of those imperial characters before, 
that it's mm-hmm. not really a shock to see them that it's kind right. of like, that's what it is. Maybe a shock to see someone like Cyril, um, right. but not necessarily the, the, the head officer that we saw mm-hmm. in this episode. And so it uh, was, Jay Hold, by the way, I realized his, his name is uh, Jay Hold. Jay Hold. Yeah. And, um, so like in that sense, it was maybe not, I didn't feel like they were trying to remind us about how bad the empire is because this entire arc has kind of been about, colonialism mm-hmm. and about their imperialism right. onto this planet and how the Aldani people have gone from thousands to just 60 over seven years. And, um, and so I think it's like, that's constantly in the back of the episode, like in, in, in the like weaves of it that is there. And so we have mm-hmm. this person who is awful, but they also go through, um, or they go to lengths to show him being worn down. And yeah. I think it forces us to kind of look at how this is just a person He's not some big, scary guy. He's not Palpatine. He's just a person, mm-hmm. and he is doing these awful things still. He can be worn down, too. And he is also a part of this chain of horribleness that is happening in the Empire. And I think that's really important to remember. Uh, yeah. He is who Cyril could become, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I I think I, I don't see Jay Hold as a, a mustache twiller. I see him as evil in a way mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily see, you know, the the lower ranking, you know, privates and, and uh, uh, corporate security people as being right. deliberately evil in the same way. I thought the scene with um, Jay Hold and the engineer and Lieutenant Gorn was there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just felt brilliant to me like these just like a-hole officers sipping their imperial coffee just being so contemptuous talking about you know the donnies in like exactly the way that like you'd read like columbus talked about you know the native peoples he encountered and the fact that this came out like the day after or day before depending on if it's like observed or whatever um as the day that some people celebrate Columbus Day and other people celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. Like, I think that's probably a coincidence, but it feels very appropriate. Like, just these, yeah. just like the, the, the racism and the, but like the, the just like, the just like contempt and just smug, just sort of like, oh, I understand these peoples here, you know, like, and, just the total lack of caring about any of their well-being and like just like here's how we're going to manipulate them to do our work after we've not like actively genocide them but just like displaced them to the point that it's hard for them to hold to who they are because like it's 60 that made it up the through the valley right there's mm-hmm. still a lot more actual like donny people although there's fewer than there used to be, but like, they're like, Oh, we placed these refreshment stations. So they wouldn't make it all the way here. And then we're not going to let them come here next time, but then we're going to get them to work for us, you know? And like, but then the fact that they showed his family also, you know, and he's just a guy who like wants to not have this assignment that he thinks is this crap assignment, you know? And, and like, it's, it's so mundane like it's evil but also mundane and like that's 
the way things are for the most part, right? There's not a whole bunch of masterminds, like, creating mm -hmm. all of these awful structures that oppress people. Like, it's just, like, some asshole with some shitty job that they hate, but they're like, well, I could do better in my job if I'm just a little bit more of an asshole. And that's, you know? it's so true, because it's so easy to see, like, Palpatine and, you know, Vader and be like, oh, yeah, there are these otherworldly beings who are mm -hmm. creating this mm -hmm. imperial, horrible galaxy but it's another to see, like you said, the, the mundane people who are yeah. who that wouldn't be possible without. They right. are the wheel that is turning yeah. this empire. And uh, without them, it wouldn't be possible. And so if they weren't um, doing their part, right. the empire wouldn't exist either. Yeah, I think I think both of you make some sense. I think I think with that, I kind of pull back somewhat on the mustache twirler point in that like he feels more. That kind of – he's got more of the punchable face than oh, some yes. of the others we've met so far. <laughs> Very punchable. But yeah, right. But he, he, it's, it's a much more complicated thing. And like it's funny, Paul, what you say. I was thinking about it as like you know, in terms of Columbus Day and like this continent's uh, 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 the North American, South American natives. But honestly, what I got from him more than anything else was like British officers mm -hmm. in Africa mm -hmm. or in India sure, where there yeah. is that kind of like – Oh no, we don't hate them. We're we're because you know, they're not they're not calling them savages. They're not like rounding them up and killing them for sport. But it's it is it's still that it's that utter contempt that you're talking about mm -hmm. of of the racism of just not seeing them as full people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 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 again with his family, like watching Val hold a kid to a terrified holding a gun to the head of a terrified kid, saying "Obey or I'll shoot your kid." Yeah. I think it's what they had to do to do it. And a part of me really hopes that she was never actually going to pull that trigger. But it's still not – like that kid's not going to have a good time. Like no. he needs some therapy now. That, that's and, like, a kid who might become super pro-imperial now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Super anti-rebel. And and certainly I was like that's again like I'm not seeing a Jedi do that. Like that's, right, a, right. that's a pretty morally gray act. But where I was like – I never had a feeling of like, oh, I can't support these rebels anymore. They've crossed a line. It was more just like, this is the ugliness of war. Yeah. Of like, you're trying to do a good thing, but yeah, this is what happens. And it was, it's almost like that's what ha has to happen. And I think that's why it was like so important for Cassian. Like when you go to war, this is what happens, like you said. Right. And why it was so important for Cassian to say to Nimic, no matter what you do to the Empire, they won't listen. They won't change. Right. Right. And I think that is important to remember when watching that scene, because no matter what you do, the Empire's not going to learn. You can treat them the same way right. that they treat you. They're not going to change tactics. And uh, that's why it is like you, you have to do what you have to do in that moment. Like it sounds awful, but that is war when you decide to go to war. And that's why I like, yeah. I I always view Saw Guerrero with a very kind of like, he's a, he's a multi-layered character and there's so much going mm -hmm. on to him that like he does what in his mind needs to be done. And because they've chosen war. And when you choose war, yeah. this is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big believer in the idea that like, if I have not felt a particular kind of oppression, I'm not in a place mm. to judge how you fight that oppression, yeah, you know, same. and that like, like, I think, 
I appreciate the show is not being what I would call like overly political, but like I think the show is very aware that, like you said, that it's talking about native and immigrant issues at a time when that's big issues. I think that like the discussions around like BLM and what is or isn't appropriate as ways to sort of protest and or to fight and conversations about like rebel groups in other countries and all that stuff, like all, all of that is in this show. And yet it doesn't feel pushed in or anything. It just feels like they're just telling this wonderful story with incredible issues because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just – this is, it's just such a gray show in a way that like – I actually had a comment on a, a post about it where someone was like, but this is not – Star Wars is supposed to be moral black and white. Star Wars is supposed to be simple. And I was like, I, I don't know if it's been that for a long time. Yeah. But like it's OK if you want that. But like I'm really glad we get one show that really is not. Yeah. yeah. You know, that I, is much more about like even if you're fighting for the best of causes, you're going to probably do some pretty terrible stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I – I think on the one hand, like, it's a choice, right? Like, there's a lot of things where I I think often people say, oh, well, they had to do this or this was the only way or whatever. It's like, it's not necessarily the only way. Like, it's a way and it has a certain chance of success, right? And then there's some other tactic or strategy that might have a different chance of success. And both things might have a 0% chance. Both things might have a, you know, 50, 80, maybe choosing the the thing where there's more things that other people might think are questionable might have a higher chance of success. Like... It's, you know, I I don't know. I, I'll judge any action. But like I – Yeah. But at the same time, I always want to try to understand where the person's coming from, you know, whatever it is. And it's like here, it's like it's very understandable and it's possible that this is the only way that these people can – Yeah. You know, I mean I was sitting there like – you should have shot more of these imperial people, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like just just shoot them. Like, but like, I, I think it's hilarious that the um, what's his name, J-Hold, like, you know, he's in this, he, he's this like villain, right? And then he's like pushing money to like help load the thing, and then he's like uh-huh. really stressed out, and then he just has a heart attack. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? When's the last time you saw someone just have a heart attack in an action movie? <laughs> Right. Because this was like like, the action episode, right? Like, What would the Palpatine-type characters or like say in this situation? They'd say, go ahead. I can get another wife. I can make another child. You know, that callous – not only him but all these other soldiers are like, he's a little kid. We don't want to put the little kid in danger. Right. That's again – there's a humanity there that is interesting Mm -hmm. to me. For sure. One thing I'm really struck by, and this is kind of taking a larger lens to Star Wars, and, and I think you both have like a lot of insight in different parts of Star Wars. I'm curious how you see this. Until this show, for the most part, the perspective has been that native people are not are non-human. Indigenous people, that humans are have colonized all through the galaxy. And I think in the uh, uh, original extended universe, the idea was that humans had all come originally from one planet that was long lost. Um but but even in in kind of the, the 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 Disney canon stuff or the original stuff, certainly it's like you know the Tuscan Raiders or the Ewoks or the like. Most of the time, when there's indigenous people, they're decidedly not human. Hmm. And I think it is something very interesting that they're doing that they now shown us two different indigenous groups, both of which are human. I think it's because they want to make those characters more relatable. And I, so I think I like it, but I'm kind. Of, it, it, it seems it's an it's a very interesting choice that I'm kind of curious what you both a, if you've noticed it, but also what you think of it. It is interesting, and I don't think I actually like specifically noticed it that way until you mentioned it. But it is very mm-hmm. interesting, and I do I, I do agree with you that I think it is a way to make it more relatable, and 
that in itself is interesting because we've been told that the empire is very like specious in that they prefer humans to, you know, alien uh, beings and that like, that's why most of the stormtroopers, if not all of the stormtroopers are humans. And that's why Thrawn has such a difficulty moving up in ranks. He has to really push for it because he's also being uh, prejudiced against by his peers. And, um, I don't know, like, I don't know what to think about this new aspect to it, that, um, there is a, another level of, of hu- humans who right. are being equally, if not, you know, just, or worsely treated, uh, by the empire and not just the empire because, um, Cassian's homeworld, that would have been the Republic yep. that that yeah. big right. accident happened on that ended up killing all the people on the planet. Um, so maybe that's the wider part is that the Republic wasn't inherently or wasn't widely specious the way that the empire was, but they still treated planets this way and people who lived on these, who were indigenous to these planets this way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it's, I mean, first there's like the question of like, what does it actually mean to be indigenous? Like Mm -hmm. humans on earth like almost aren't at all actually indigenous to the area in terms of haven't come from somewhere else. Right. I mean, it's like, it's millennia people may have been in an area, but like, if you go back 30, 40, 50,000 years, everybody in the Western hemisphere came from somewhere else. Right. The people that we think of as indigenous came across the Bering Strait, right. Like came from Asia and everyone there came from Africa and everybody in Europe came from Africa. And like me, like there's complexities. So it's like, if this ancient human home world was like millennia ago, right. You can have people that maybe colonized Aldani 20,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago or whatever. And like, you would call them indigenous, but it's like, yeah, they, they did colonize it at some point. Right. But maybe they, but I mean, the word colonize, like, it's generally used in a in in a negative way right now, although it was used in this very oh yes, colonized. But like it like if there's no life there, then it's like, well, the problem, right, the problematic aspects of colonialism is displacing previous life there, right? Right. And like most humans will say, well, if it's human life, then it matters. I'm like, well, if it's not human life, it still matters to me, you know? But like, which is why like colonizing the moon or colonizing Mars, it's like, yeah, that's fine. Do that. You know, just send everybody to Mars and leave Earth alone. But like, (laughs) but like, so, so I think it makes sense that there's populations that would be viewed as indigenous because they've been there for generations and generations and generations, right? Um, I think the show is probably deliberately having those be human populations to literally humanize those populations to make it, I think, more relatable to more people. You know, if, um, you know, um, like Book of Boba Fett used, you know, the Tuscans, right, in that in that manner. And I think that probably was less relatable to most people. Right. And so here I think they're like, okay, we're going to use humans in the same context in order to kind of also like, aside from just making them more relatable, because I mean, personally, I think there's a lot of value in 
making non-humans more relatable, right? Um, I think the world would be a better place if like we did more of that in our fiction. But I also think that this show is trying to feel a little bit like more down to earth and, you know, which, you know, it's in a galaxy far, far away. So how down to earth can it be? But like, you know, I think the more people you have in either makeup or in CGI or whatever, kind of there's something in the brain that most people are going to kind of feel, oh, that's more fantastic. Mm. Right. And so I think they're really deliberately trying to limit it, uh, to limit that in a way to kind of make it feel more, um, you know, kind of more real. To, to most, you know, humans, because like right. the people we mostly know are, you know, are, are humans. And, you know, there's something about because, I mean, people have been talking about this. Aldani is basically like space Scotland is <laughs> uh, <laughs> filmed, filmed on Scotland. They um, right. intentionally use the highlands and the lowlands yeah, in the, lowlands, the vocabulary. Yeah. And I, I don't know this for certain, but this was the first time we heard the Aldani language being spoken. Mm. And it did kind of sound like there might be some like Gallic inspiration behind it. Mm. There was a lot of guttural sounds to it. Um, so it could have been or it might just be, you know, like yeah. Eastern European inspired or whatever. Um, but they are obviously taking heavy inspiration from the uh, Highland clearances for the way that the empire mm. has treated Aldani mm. and displaced these people. And I think there's something to be said about them also using humans for the species um, of the species of indigenous people on Aldani, because if you borrow from a very human, very real uh, history and you make those people non-human, mm. kind of what what kind of message does that send? I don't think that yeah. that would have been received very well. Uh, so I do think yeah. it was also a smart decision uh, and respectful yeah. decision to make the yeah. people human. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a very phantom message, uh, phantom message, phantom menace message. <laughs> yeah. Is what yeah, I think there are definitely times in the Clone Wars when they run into like indigenous non-human species, mm -hmm. but they have an accent that sounds like an indigenous group, you know, mm -hmm. and it is, I think, definitely was problematic. I, I think all that's true. I think there's one other aspect here going on that, again, makes me like a little sad for the for the view of the universe we're leaving behind, but agreeing that like it is a much more effective way to tell the story and also much more respectful is that a lot of science fiction, and I think Star Wars had never really stated this, but was kind of going for it, was saying like, look, once there's all these aliens, white supremacy has kind of been superseded mm. by human supremacy. Mm. And so all humans are viewed equally in the same kind of way that like, you know, Jews and Irish and Italians weren't white 100 mm. years ago, but that they are today. Yeah. And that in the face of like all these alien species now, no one cares about them on humans. Mm. But clearly they wanted to introduce the idea that no, 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 even in human like white supremacy is still there. Like native versus colonialist ideas are still there. And that's a part of what's been Andor's story. And and so, yeah, in that world, then it makes a lot more sense to be like, OK, so we're going to break the idea that humans always good and that the humans can be this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good. Oh, uh, I was just going to say that, like the idea that people who haven't adapted to the like correct way of living in mm -hmm. this galaxy, the like Coruscanti way of living in this galaxy are then viewed as less than under the Empire. Right. And maybe even before under the Republic. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, like. I, I kind of – again, I, I, this is me headcanoning some, but there's some – there's other people who've had a version of this in Star Wars where the human group got to the planet and was like, OK, we had a spaceship that brought us here and all of our technology wrecked our yeah. home planet. 
so let's kind of just be Luddites, you know, and let's kind of go back to the land. And, 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 and yeah, I think that can be an explanation. Another thing that I noticed that I thought was really cool, we've now had two indigenous populations where if they are speaking to each other, we, the audience, don't know what they're mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. which I think is a very intentional choice yes. again. It's like I, I think it's yeah. really interesting that they're doing there. I For love sure. that. Um, it is akin, I feel, to the very intentional choice when writing a book to not italicize and not uh, translate the non-English language that you are using. Or if it's a book that's not in English, then the, you know, the foreign language. And that's a big discussion in the Latine community uh, around Spanish, uh, especially books that are written in English and include Spanish. It used to be the norm to italicize the Spanish. And now it's starting to become more like, no, we don't italicize the way we talk. We're not, you know, if you're bilingual or if you're speaking, mixing between English and Spanish to your parents or your family or your friends, you're not just changing the way you talk really quickly. It's, it's a mixture. It's all the same. And, um, and I love that idea that they're not translating that for us. And we see what happens when it gets translated uh, Gorn. Yeah, and yeah. it's not translated. It's not translated they did, correctly. Gorn they did give us it. subtitles on that, right? Yeah, on that so that, one, uh, a couple of phrases, yeah. Yeah. so we could see. And, oh, he he did not repeat what he said. No, yeah. <laughs> and, and very interestingly, the um, the sort of head of the Dahani group, I think, knew enough basic to know that his statement wasn't yeah. properly translated. And he was he upset. Look. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think yeah. that was intentional too. That you know, even people who are trying to help. Uh, and who are sit, you know trying to do good for the rebellion and everything end yeah. up disrespecting these people yeah. by it, that is taking advantage of someone. You have the power to translate for them, and you mistranslate, and that is a big thing, like a big no no, a big sign of disrespect. And you could tell that there. Yeah, like I, I don't know if you were thinking about this, but I was very worried that that group was going to get caught in the crossfire somehow. Yes, I'm so you glad know? that and I was. <laughs> I was I was very glad they didn't, but it was one more of the like, yeah. I mean, we we'd heard them say it, but they basically like manip they used that group as mm-hmm. bait and as distraction, mm-hmm. and that's again a level of like, you're fighting for people, but how are you much are you actually thinking about like the individual people mm-hmm. who are here? Yeah. Can you think of the individual people? That's the other right. big thing that we see a lot, like in Rebels, you see it with Mon Mothma when she is like, no, sorry, we can't send people to Little Ball. It's like you're, she's mm-hmm. thinking of the bigger cause and not of this planet, which ends up being the unifying aspect of the rebellion anyway. But yeah, it's all very interesting to get down to the nitty gritty yep. of that. Definitely. Uh, this is more humorous, but just on the nitty gritty, um, is there no such thing as checks or credit cards? In this galactic, like, I, I was definitely struck by the fact that, like, in a galactic universe with like spaceships and hyper travel and all this stuff, not only are they only paying people in cash, but they don't even have like printed paper money. It's all just coins, all apparently. Coins. I know. Or these little like chips, and it was They're just like, like metal, right? Like yeah, yeah, something. like rectangular credits. 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 Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a small handful can be enough to buy a single Meluron or enough to buy a ship, yeah. right? <laughs> So I'm guessing there's a guy, but like, yeah, it was very weird. I was like, why, why is everything cash in this economy? I know. I've always wondered I mean, that too. Like, I guess they, I don't, I, I don't know, but it's always very mm-hmm. funny, especially when they like 
switch to the Imperial credits from Republic credits. Hmm. And in fanfics a lot, you'll see people will decide that some places are like, oh, we can still accept Republic credits. We can get them changed Hmm. over. And I think just how people deal with that is really funny. (laughs) That's funny, yeah. That's one thing I really enjoyed about Bad Batch is how much it kind of started like filling those little details of the transition. Yeah. Um. What else? What uh, I think we've covered a lot of the things that I wanted to touch on. Um, we got that great moment of Mon Mothma speaking to kind of the empty Senate, which just, you know, I used to think that because I really love politics, I should watch C-SPAN. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've seen or like you'll see like a clip of like Bernie giving this great speech and it, you quickly realize it's to an almost empty Senate. Yeah. Like yeah. I just, it was I thought it was so effective in showing, like, yeah, the Senate's mostly dead by this point. I want to go back and, like, zoom in on all the pods they did show and see if there's anyone I recognize right. because <laughs> I am I am so, like, determined for them to bring Rio Chuchi back. <laughs> I want Rio Chuchi back. It's, even if it's a blurry a lavender figure in the background, I'll claim her <laughs> as Rio Chuchi. But. Uh, for those who aren't uh, uh, diehards, who can you explain who that is? Oh, Rio Chuchi is a uh, senator of I can't remember what planet now. Um, oh, rats! Um, but she's a senator. Uh, she's Ahsoka Tano's friend, and she became a senator around the same age that Padme and Mon Mothma were, so around mm-hmm. like in her teens. And she's in the Clone Wars. If you want to get know to know more about her, and we've not seen her since. Since the yeah. wrong Jedi arc, she makes mm. one appearance in the wrong Jedi arc, and she doesn't mm. have any words, and that's the last time we see mm. her. We've heard Mon Mothma and Luthen talking about how there's someone they want to sort of bring in. Do you have thoughts about who that might be? Well, the easy answer, I feel like, is Saw. Um, mm-hmm. and But I don't know... Like if he and Mon Moth, like I think I'm pretty sure he and Mon Moth will have had history by this point because they do in Rebels, and um, so I feel like that's the easy answer. I would love for it to be Bale, but I feel like Bale's already in the circle. Yeah. If I had to pick someone who would already be in the circle with Luthen and Mon Mothma, it would be Bale. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I don't feel like there's enough time to get everyone like wrapped in between this yeah. and Rogue One without Bale already being in the circle. Um, but I think if anything, Bale, Bale was, probably recruited Mon Mothma. Yeah, like, well, yeah. There's a deleted scene from mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith, right, with mm-hmm. Mon Mothma and Bale, mm-hmm. and they're talking to Amidala about mm-hmm. about basically forming the Circle at that time, right? right? Yeah. And then she's like, "I understand what you're saying. Say no more, you know, or something." Yeah. That's not exactly what she says, but she's just like, "It's probably better if you actually don't say out loud the thing that you're thinking, and I know you're thinking because we don't want anybody else to be thinking it." Yeah, and and, and so I, I share think a there's... bed with someone who can read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that Bale's already a part of that. I, you know, I was hoping that we would see him in this show. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of losing mm-hmm. that faith that we will i would love just a quick just a quick show of him um but i would have my bets on it being saw paul has convinced me about trying to be careful not to predict too many things i think we won't see him in this 12 i think we'll see him in the next 12 yeah um i would i mean i won't be mad if he if he's not in it i would just be like icing on the cake for me (laughs) to see him (laughs) 
I, I will also mention one small but I think important uh, connection that we had with Rebels, because this is happening at the same time as Rebels, is when they were having that Imperial security gathering, this is last episode, and they mentioned like things happening, and one of the things they talked about was this attack on uh, – was a thing that happened uh, on Kessel. Mm. And we that's the thing that they, they – that's the mission they do in the, in the first pilot arc of Rebels. Mm-hmm. So that was just oh, kind of a cool workies. like – yeah, drawing the drawing the connection there. There's yeah. been so many little things to rebels, like the mm-hmm. the um the in Luthen's little shop thing, right. mm-hmm. the the hands from the portal. I don't know; it's probably not the portal, um, but the father, daughter, oh, yeah, the, and son. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's in the background, mm-hmm. and then Mon Mothma obviously talking about Gorm, which is a tie to Rogue One and Rebels. Um, yep. Rebels specifically, the massacre on Gorm, which is coming that we know about in Rebels, happens in mm-hmm. like two years from yeah. the time that. And there's also was there a Calicori in the background? Yeah, we yep. saw a Calicori. Yeah, yeah uh, a metal and, Calicori, which we hadn't seen before. I really liked it. And I don't recognize these, but apparently there's also a lot of things from the extended universe books mm-hmm. in there, uh, which I just. I mean, I have no time for the people who are like, I'll never do anything Disney. EU is great. Disney is terrible. But like, I do think that like, it was a little sad that they just sort of cut the whole thing off. And I've really appreciated the way they're like slowly bringing more and more of the EU stuff in. And so seeing a lot of the people who really love that get really excited about what they saw in Luthen's gallery definitely made me pretty happy. Yeah. I think in terms Um, of like Easter eggs and cameos and stuff, I feel like this show is really kind of setting the standard for me in terms of yeah. there are all these little references that like, if you know it, you get it, but it feels natural. It doesn't feel like something just like jammed in there. Right. Like mm-hmm. if we were going to see bail, I think just seeing bail in the Senate because yeah. he's a Senator. So, right. right. Like that would have been perfect to me, <laughs> you know? Um, but like, I, I find that actually having so few characters from anything else actually show up to me makes the galaxy feel much larger Mm. Um, that was one thing that like in the first and maybe second season of Rebels, I felt like the galaxy felt a little small because they were just always running into the same people. And I was like, okay, maybe this is this particular sector and that's why mm-hmm. they're running into the same people a lot. But I really like that they're not running into so many people that we know. Like mm-hmm. if if Mon Mothma were dealing directly with Cassian, to me that would feel a little bit kind of i feel like it would shrink things whereas here the fact that we see her but then we see luthan as this go-between between her and their group and andor and vel and the rest of them to me it makes things feel just like expansive you know where it's like Mm -hmm. theoretically there are supposed to be all these little cells these little pockets of rebellion right and and Having things cross over a little bit here and there, I think, is very fun and very satisfying and makes everything feel connected. But when things cross over, like, too much, mm-hmm. then to me it just feels like, well, is this a galaxy or is it, like, a solar system, you know? And I feel like this show is doing a really good job of of making it feel like a galaxy where it's, like, it definitely exists within the Star Wars world right or or universe or galaxy whatever whatever you want to call it um but like it doesn't it feels like it doesn't do that thing that i think a lot of star wars things do that i love but like they kind of like hit you over the head with like you know um the references that like just a lot of being being like super self-referential um in a way that feels like overt fan service whereas here it feels like they're still delivering the goods 
but they're not like, did you see the goods? Do you see the goods? We've got the goods. It's like, they're just there. And it's your, you know, you need to kind of like find it. You need to mm, like, right. you know, have someone be like, oh yeah, that's from this thing. You're like, oh really? Awesome. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's the thing. They mentioned the place, you know? Like, yeah. Like Scarif. They mentioned Scarif in one mm-hmm. of the episodes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, it wasn't like a big, like, we mentioned Scarif. Did you catch that we mentioned Scarif? It's like they just mentioned it. It's just there, you know, and you caught it. I, I have a question that, sorry, I'm like hijacking. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, have, I had some comments on what you just said, but as your question, we can oh, get back to it. Or, no, you, you, or, you comment first and then I'll, okay. I'll write down my question. I, I was just going to say, I totally agree with you. I think, the, like, you know, yeah, if they like go and like meet you know, all the people who the rebels had met in episode before, that that would feel too small. But having it just be mentioned in a list of five other things feels right to me. And and I think the art gallery is just a perfect way to do that because yeah. you can just have all this stuff that to many people looks like stuff, but someone can be like, oh, look, that's the thing from this other thing. And in a similar way of like putting in something that I think was very needed and a lot of people really wanted without hitting you over the head with it. Mm. There had been a lot of speculation about, okay, what do they mean when they say that Vel is sharing a blanket with someone? <laughs> and a lot of people, especially the communities I hang out with, were really hoping it was Sintra. And I was thinking – because I do think that's where they were leaning. And I was thinking like, how are they – I want them to show that this episode. But like if they kiss in the middle of a mission, it's going to look so – like no Super good soldier weird. does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so just giving them that moment yep. of touching hands yeah. was perfect. Yes. Because it was like it absolutely told me everything I wanted to know. I think if you're the the person who's going to hate that kind of thing, it's going to go. I don't think it's going to go over your head, but maybe it'll go over your head, yeah. and so maybe we don't have to deal with that person. <laughs> but it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like like a kiss would have felt so wrong. And yeah, Daniel, so it sounds like you have similar feelings. Yeah, well, it's one of those that it's like it doesn't need to be said. Like it, we want it to be said, and I think it should eventually if they. Hopefully, we'll see each other again. I mean, Santa, my love, I need you to get off of that planet safely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if they have a reunion, that would be a perfect time for them yeah. to kiss. Yeah. And I think that that is needed in Star Wars because it's still so behind on like that type of inclusivity and being blatant about it on screen. But I agree with you that this wasn't the moment and yeah. it didn't need to be said. And if you don't see that, that's a you problem <laughs> and not a show problem. It's that if you know, you know, and it's very clear what the message was to me. And I do hope that they make it abundantly even more so clear in the yeah. future. Yeah. And they have so far at least avoided burying your gaze yes. because neither of them died. I was right. so scared so for that. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is more of a only your gaze survive. <laughs> <laughs> only the yeah, and only your the gays and your title character. <laughs> only the gays and the slut. Yeah. <laughs> they did like kill off both black dudes like right I away. I, I, I was like, this feels well, a little. Do sus. we think Gorn is dead? Do we think? No, Gorn is he dead? might be okay. Because Either of them I've... would have survived. Maybe. Yeah, I don't yeah. think Tamarin survived. Could yeah, survive his shot, yeah. but I think that Gorn could survive it's possible and then there'll be like a court marshalling and a whole yeah. interrogation, and interrogation. And yeah. Yeah. yeah i feel like that's very possible uh, on that same subject though am i right that so far every stormtrooper we have seen as a where we see them <laughs> like the actual person under their helmet certainly every stormtrooper and imperial person who's worked for the rebels is a person of color like i don't hate that but it definitely was like 
like oh. I know we were talking before about how like you know um you know like in the in the sequel movies like yeah. we the the the, the former yeah. troopers we saw were all were all black yeah. and um the imperial officer who helps Kenobi mm. is a woman of color mm. and and so when Tamron was the black one I was like I I love that for his character. What are we saying here, though? Yeah. Maybe that's how the empire became racist. You know, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. no, but possible. Uh, yeah. possible. All right, Paul, on to your question. Right. So, um, oh, I just want to say I do think that them, the way they handled it in this episode, felt right in the moment, and mm-hmm. I do think those two characters, I think Vel and Cinta, should have a reunion at some point, and that's like, okay, you've seen each other after six months, now you kiss. Great. You yeah. know, I think yeah. that would... But like, there was one moment when they were, like, hiding in the bunker when I... Part mm-hmm. of me was like, okay, kiss each other for good luck because I wanted to see that. And then right. part of me was like, no, that would be a stupid, stupid thing to do. Yeah, they're not brother and sister. Territory. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Game of Thrones that you're avoiding. <laughs> okay, so my question, they were talking about, well, they'll be back here to work on like such and such project. Mm. Like, they're clearly doing something big on Aldani. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. any thoughts what that might be? I've heard people get... Well, I mean, are they already... How far along are they on the, the Death, Death Star, Star at this point? Not very, I think. Like, there's plans, right? Yeah. But because the actual... I mean, in Rebels, when they find out about it, mm-hmm. that's like years mm-hmm. later, I think, yeah. right? At least a few years later. So yeah. maybe yeah, they're I mean, starting it now? They could a- according be. to the book Catalyst, yes, I've um, not read that is, one is, yet. So. That's the pre Rogue One, Rogue Zero. It's pre Rogue One, and it's mostly it's mostly Jyn Erso's story. Okay. Um, and so like at this point, they've mostly completed the superstructure, like the construction part of it oh. is mostly done. Right. But the like the design of the main weapon is still kind of a while away. Right. Okay. Um. And there's there's more work to be done, definitely, but that that a lot of that is still. Yeah. But it's that that book takes us up. Well, actually, no, because that book is, yeah. Actually, ignore everything I just said because most of that book is up to the point where him and Jin and his wife flee to the planet mm. that then Krennic goes to find him on. So actually, oh. yeah, that, that's okay. So it's for, Jin as like a little kid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm saying it and was not from Jin's perspective. I it was say, from Galen's. Galen's perspective. Right, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. So actually. Take that five minutes out. Which is about when when Kenobi happens, Mm. right? The Obi-Wan Kenobi series. It's maybe like 10 years before. um, I mean, the time is weird because Jin is a little girl at the beginning of Rogue One. And she's, I think, supposed to be like early 20s. So I thought she's like a teenager then. She's 21, I think, at the beginning of Rogue Rogue One. Yeah. Okay. So... Wait, you're not at the very not beginning. Not the very beginning. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Okay. In, Ro- in Rogue One, through the end, she's twenty-one. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so it could have been somewhere in like the five to ten year range. Um, well, I mean, not not five though, right? Because then she'd be like a a teenager or something. So yeah, so right now she's fifteen, sixteen, as Andor's taking yeah. place. She's sixteen right, years right. old. Yeah. And so right. then about five years or so before that. Before she yeah. yeah. Although maybe she's not eleven, right? She's younger than that. She's I think like she's she's eight um, when Yeah, that, that that's yeah. what what I meant was like from like five years after the Empire to ten years like Yeah. 
Yeah. Th- that that could have been happening anywhere between like 15 years before Yavin to 10 years before. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Pulling us back out of this uh, wonderful tangent, but um, <laughs> uh, to, to Paul's question, actually. Yeah. I don't know. And I think in the subject of the small universe, I kind of don't want it to be something we've heard of before. Yeah. Like if this was like another right. key part of the Death Star, I'd kind of be like, ah. but like. Yeah, if this is like uh, in in Adat Factory, or it's going to be a you know that there's some right. super important mineral on this planet, build star destroyers um, or something. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Because I I do wonder if I love that. I mean, I think it's funny and obvious that the engineer they brought in was someone we never heard of before. Obviously, because he dies. Um, but. I do wonder, like, if they had intended for this big project that they're going to be building to have something to do with the Death Star, if it would then have made more mm. sense to be an engineer we have heard of before. If not mm. Galen or Krennic, then mm. one of the ones that we see get shot in Rogue One, um, right. which two of them are named in the novelization. Um, but, yeah. So Maybe I don't that'll be whoever replaces this guy. Yeah, could be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where is Eldani? I don't know my galactic geography very well. Where do we know where Eldani is in relation to that sort of cluster of planets that the the first arc centered on? I have no idea. Um, I don't know if he if Luthen mentions like if it's like mid rim, okay. outer rim. I would assume mid rim, close to outer rim. Because um, I think I'm not. Possible. I think one of the parts of the story we're getting here is that. Like, we're at the moment where the Empire has been kind of contracting out mm-hmm. a lot of its work, you know, and allowing the Senate to sort of take – to help run the bureaucracy and allowing these rent-a-cops to help yeah. do things in the name of the Empire. So this could just be like, no, we're just building a big imperial base because we want the Empire to have a stronger presence in this sector, yeah. you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're definitely going to want stronger security now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, what about you? What do you think of the whole thing? Uh, what do you think they might be building? Oh, I don't know. I was like, I mean, the obvious answer is like maybe the Death Star, but I, I do kind of hope it's like some other Imperial machinery. Um, like I, I enjoyed in Rebels that like, yeah, okay, they they mention the Death Star at some point, but it's like it's not a major thing throughout, right? Mm-hmm. And mostly it's like there is a major thing about like a TIE fighter factory. It's like, yeah, those things get made somewhere, right? <laughs> like, you know, why not right. Lothal? Like here it's like, yeah, maybe it's Adats or like, you know, maybe this is where they build like the Super Star Destroyer for Vader. It's like, I want a command ship. I want it bigger. I want it to make those other Star Destroyers look really tiny. <laughs> I want it to cast a shadow, even though that makes no sense in space. Yeah. It can though. Can't it? It can. It but can. It, you just wonder, does he always position the fleet relative to the sun that's yeah. the star that's closest he's, yeah he's, he's like dramatic. i don't want them to be able to that's see anything that's why he does it i was right? always yeah. all my answers to would would yeah. vader do this yes he would he's anakin yes. skywalker <laughs> he lives for the dramatics <laughs> the person who has shut down his own life support for a dramatic entrance <laughs> <Yeah>. will <laughs> um one line that i just thought was really powerful and again made me like hate skeen's character but again like they didn't just make him mustache twirly i want the money they made him like the, the way you kind of said like the that jay holt was what uh um rent a cop dude his name i forget cyril um cyril could grow up into mm-hmm. i feel like skeen is very much the, what andor mm-hmm. could become that's a good point that level jaded and and i think the line he says that's very true is we're born in the hole 
all we know is climbing over someone else to get out. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that in some ways is kind of mm-hmm. like the the mission statement of this first half is like because we saw like Andor isn't doing it quite as much, though he is shooting people. But like he borrows money from people he knows he can never take back. He's like asking people to borrow their ship. Like he's he's. I don't think he actively wants to hurt people the way Skeen is okay with it. But on some level, I think he is – he does have that sense of like, I have to survive. So if I never pay this friend back, like, oh, well. That is another – oh, that just gave me such big Jen Erso feelings because she was basically reborn in a cave as she was waiting mm -hmm. for Saw to find her. And her entire life after that was self-preservation and – climbing over other people to get out, to try and get out the cave. And in the novelization, she even equates those memories to being a cave for her and uh, in a hole in the ground that she went to mm-hmm. and that she, part of her, never left. And, oh, my gosh. That, I mean, because I've always been big on the, like, Cassian and Jen are parallels of each other. And that's why Cassian feels so strongly about her when he meets her in Rogue One. And she's mm-hmm. ultimately the one who gets him to you know, change and he gets her to change. Um, But yeah, that made me, that gave me gin chills. (laughs) I can see that. I do think like Cassian thinks he's going to pay these people back. Mm. You know, the way like a compulsive gambler is like, oh, just give me, give me 20 bucks and I'll turn it into a hundred and then I'll pay you back and then I'll pay this other person back. And that, you know, like I, I think he's very manipulative. I think he's very observant and I think he actually cares about people, mm. you know, like I get the sense that he cares about people and that he like kind of tries not to because he knows that that kind of opens him up to to something. Right. But then he also is able to like use other people's caring about him to manipulate them. And so I just I, I really enjoy how I mean, I, I love that Diego Luna is, is speaking, you know, in his natural accent. But I also love how little the character talks and how much he listens. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah, listens so true. much to people, you know, yeah. and like really observes. And that that's I think it's a combination of like Diego Luna's fantastic acting. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how Tony Gilroy writes. I know this last ep- three episodes was like Dan Gilroy wrote them. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. this, like that's kind of like what like Jason Bourne is like he's always looking at things and observing and trying to see and understand and then act and then act quickly. Right. And I feel like this is a very different character from like Jason Bourne, but there's a lot of, there's this similarity in terms of like the things that I really appreciate in the character of like really paying attention to the world around him, even if maybe he's not a lot, spending a lot of time looking up, you know, like, but he's like seeing what's in front of him and he's observing so much all the time that then I think he's prepared to make split second decisions that are calculated because they're based on a lot of data, a lot of understanding and, of what's going on around him. And because he's always calculating. Right, exactly. He's always thinking about what if something goes wrong. Yeah, what's the next move? What's the, you know, and maybe not as much as he will later because, you know, Luthen's like, oh, you build your escape on the way in. And he's like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see whether, whether any of these kind of like, you know, things take in terms of, uh, Cassian learning more in terms of like how to do certain things and, and Vel maybe learning more in terms of like, you know, being a leader and, and gaining more confidence. Um, I, when they, they called when they were on the radio, 
Um, it was Echo One, mm-hmm. right, to Valley One, and isn't the the base in Hoth? Isn't that Echo Base? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So I feel is. like there's definitely. I don't feel like that was necessarily just like an Easter egg. Like yeah. mm-hmm. maybe someone. Although the people who were Echo One are dead now, so I don't know. Uh, one, one of but them, maybe Val keeps using it as a call. My head cannon. One of them met Echo. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I like Echo. that. It's actually Echo. reference to Echo. Yeah, sure. I will pull a clone I, into I mean, anything. <laughs> I, I, I will say that oh, Echo is the like in, in the sort of like words for for letters kind of thing yeah. like Alpha, Beta, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, September, November. Yeah. Like yeah. E is Echo is often the one used for E. Yeah. But yes, I so I think yeah. it's like. But yeah, why it comes up twice? I think it, that's not coincidence. Like yeah. they knew that, and they're not using like Charlie and like you know the other right. things yeah. that like the U.S. military uses. In that regard, yeah. right? I mean, Val- Valley is just yeah, right. Valley, Valley's Valley, and, you know. And there's yeah. Rogue, and there's like red and green and blue, and you know, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Going just to what you're saying about uh, Andor, I, I, I kind of think we're somewhat both right, and then I think like I absolutely agree with everything what you're saying about the observance. And I think you're right. He does care about people more than he wants to. I think though that on some level he's not like. He does manipulate people. You were kind of saying this. He does manipulate people more than I think even he admits to himself. Mm. And yeah. I think a big part of what happened in that first arc was a bunch of people being like, "No, dude, you've taken advantage of us too many times," and yeah. him being like, "What me? I and, right. and I think that's part of why that line from Skeen, uh, mm. you know, hits him so hard yeah. when he's like, "No, we just all climb over someone else to get out." Is he absolutely doesn't want to believe that about himself? Right. But he's kind of rec- like, I mean. What happened to Bix, you know, like all the stuff. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a really good point. I have um, two more things to say about this episode really quickly. Um, The first Mm -hmm. is that I saw someone say, comment about Luthen's reaction at the end when he finds out that, you know, people are talking about the rebel attack on Eldani. And his reaction is like relief and laughter. And he's like, Yeah. yeah, it worked which is so vastly different compared to the reality of the people that were there, which is like these people, people died and this is somber and this is sad. And so many really hard emotions going into Vale and Cassian and Skeen and Nemec. And um, here's Luthen laughing about it in relief mm-hmm. that it worked. Yeah. And it's just kind of, it really is showing that kind of like juxtaposition between the people who are coordinating this. Yes. But and at the end of the day, aren't the ones on the ground, aren't the ones they might, might be risking their livelihood and their reputation, right. but they aren't risking their lives in the same way that these people are. And I thought that yeah. that was really powerful. Um, and that I hadn't really thought of when I was watching it immediately. And I saw that. I was like, yeah, that actually is a huge juxtaposition. Um, yeah. That's and- awesome. And that's that's like paralleled mm-hmm. in the imperial side of things as well, where like it's like, oh, we're going to have to have an emergency work meeting and everybody bring me your reports and this and that. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like a bunch of people just got shot to death and like, you know, TIE fighter pilots just flew into like meteors and whatever, you know, that's like the situation on the ground. And then you have the bureaucrats who are like, Oh, we're going to need a report on this by midnight. (laughs) You know, nobody's going home tonight. Lots of hard work here. I was so impressed slash angry because, you know, as I've talked about before, I think like the two groups they've made the most sort of anonymous, scary, 
kill as many as you want. Who cares? Are the stormtroopers and the tie fighter? Like the tie fighter, that's even more so because it's mm-hmm. like all black, mm-hmm. like death, you know, stormtrooper kind of looking uniform. But somehow, like watching this stormtrooper like go through the whole process of getting in his tie fighter and going out to fly, and then just like having trouble targeting because of the meteor storm, yeah. like. There's a way to shoot that in a way that's like, ha ha, dumb TIE fighter pilot, our plan is working. And there's another that's like, yeah, this is just another poor schmuck doing his job and he's going to die. And yeah. like, good he dies because our heroes get away. But I felt a little bad for them. Yeah, I was like, too. what the hell are you doing? <laughs> he's a TIE fighter pilot. I'm not supposed to feel bad for him. Well, you know, I- one of the things I really liked about The Princess and the Scoundrel, and this isn't a spoiler for those who haven't read it, but... Leia does think about that. She thinks about the yeah. stormtroopers that she killed and all the people who died in the Death Star and all the people who, you know, for the work for the Empire and maybe just because that was a job and that was the way to, you know, provide mm-hmm. for themselves and their yeah. family, um, how they died. And there's like a really good scene in the book early on where she thinks about the Ewoks hitting the stormtrooper helmets and she has a moment where she's like, that's not right. <laughs> I yeah, shouldn't like I shouldn't feel happy about this or should I? Right. I don't know. <laughs> and I felt like that was a really good like it gave me something to like point to whenever I have those complicated feelings. Like I'm supposed yeah. to feel this way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Also, they were going to eat her friends. Yeah, that is one of the best parts about that book, though, is just yeah. see, a, a kind of acknowledging, like, <clears throat> yeah, the Yub Nub song is great. The Ewoks are, like, they are, I mean, they're quite literally feral. Yeah. But also, like, there, there's some stuff going on there. Yeah. Uh, but, Paul, did you, did you have a word about the TIE Fighter thing? Oh, yeah. No, just like I felt that, you know. I, yeah. I felt bad for the t- – I was like, man, like, why are they still chasing these people? Like, that can't pay well enough, you know? <laughs> Healthcare and dental and even covering vision, that's not enough. For, like, yeah. flying into a meteor shower, you know? So, you know I but at least, that, I guess, they had a nice view when they died. I thought that when the guy went after Cassian, when they were still in the the mines or, like, it, before they flew off, oh, uh, there yeah. was oh, a guy yeah. who, like, went after Cassian when he could have just stayed where he was and yep. survived this whole ordeal. Yeah. And instead, he chose to go after Cassian. And I was, like, I said to my boyfriend, I was like, one thing I can tell you for sure is that I wouldn't risk my life for any government. <laughs> and, right, right. And, and I was so I was just like, what is it about the Empire that is making these people feel like they the TIE fighters that they still have to keep going? Or yeah. this man who could have stayed where he was and survived put himself in danger to go after them. Right. And why do we I mean, you know, you know, there has to be something there about why they're yeah. doing it. Yeah. And it's just it's an interesting thing to think of. And I, I certainly think a lot of it is fear. Yeah. I think it's the I am likely going to die doing this thing, yeah. but I'm absolutely going to be killed if I fail in mm. my duty. Like certainly for the TIE fighter pilots, yeah. not maybe necessarily the guy who jumps in there. Certainly for anybody um, working for Vader. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> but yeah, it, it now makes me really curious about like that. Has Vader kind of like passed that message on right. to all this? Like have they all had at least one meeting where they see Vader execute someone and like drive right, the point right, home? Right. Mm. But, but, but it also is that there probably are – like have, have you read Lost Stars? Not yet. I put it off because I need to be in the right headspace. I know I'm going to love it and it, I know it's going to destroy it's, me. <laughs> it's so good. It's utterly going to destroy you. And I won't spoil anything, but like I think you know enough about it to know that yeah. like 
there are people in it who are like the empire saved our world. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the civil war, the clone wars was destroying our world. And yeah, now I will absolutely happily fly into utter 95% chance mm. of death. Yeah. Be, you know, right. so I think, I think they're true believers. Now, yeah. Right. They became. Yeah. So. Uh, all that allows me to lead into the last question I want to ask, which because he doesn't appear in this episode, isn't tied to this, but just because I wanted to get your thoughts on it, Danielle, what's your thoughts on Cyril as a character? He's, <laughs> I would punch him in the face so badly. <laughs> Very punchable face. I saw, I don't know if you saw that the Star Wars website confirmed that one of the figurines in his room that we saw last episode, episode five, was a clone trooper. And when I saw that and I was like, is that a clone trooper? I was like, he does not deserve to have a clone trooper figurine in his bedroom. <laughs> but I get the juxta. It was meant to be like, here's Cassian's old bedroom. He has an old Bantha plushie. Here's Cyril's mm-hmm. bedroom. He has a clone figure, clone trooper figurine. Yeah. And like all the like similarities and differences between them. And to show that they used to be children. Like Cyril used to yeah. be a child. And how did he grow up? to be so radicalized? How did he grow up to be convinced that he needs to fight the way that he's fighting? And I think it's interesting because they've been very hush-hush about what Cyril's fate is going to be. Is he going Mm -hmm. to become even more radicalized and hardcore empire, or is he going to defect? And we know that he's, I think he's going to meet Dedra, I assume, because I'm pretty sure he's going to the ISB because his uncle is the leader of the ISB. Um, But it'll be interesting to see. And I'm intrigued by that because we don't know. And it could go either way. And I think that's the point of his character. He is at a very, um, he's at a point in his life where he can be influenced very easily either way. Mm So he could it, – all it could take really is the right person to get him to defect, I think. Similarly, it could take the right person to get him to go even further into the empire. And I think that's so important for people to see um, because there is a pipeline in real life mm-hmm. from being a kid, an innocent kid who grows up the same as someone who turns out to be a really good, truly good person – and who ends up turning out to be an awful person. And I think that's important to show. And it wouldn't surprise me if like, that's what Tony Gilroy is getting at with his character. So I'm intrigued as much as I want to, you know, smack him across the face. Sometimes I think he's a really mm-hmm. important character. I think he and Nemec are an interesting sort of uh, parallel for one another mm. where, you know, we, we were talking last week and AJ was saying basically that Nemec reminded him of like, you know, like college kids like spouting marks and like being like, oh, yeah, you know, down with the oppressors and whatever. But like not actually having any like experience in the world, like doing things to try and change things. Right. And um, and I think, you know, with Nemec, we saw like this was a person who maybe didn't have that experience, but was willing to just put it all out there, lay it on the line, and ultimately died for the cause that he believed in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Cyril, I think, is one of those... Also, when we meet him in the first episode, like, he's also all theory, right? He he has no battlefield... He, he has no real-world experience in terms of being out there in the field and, like, doing stuff, you know? He tailored his uniform really nice, right? But, like... And he's like, well, this is unacceptable. We have to do this. We have to do this. But, like, when he actually got out there in the field, he was, like... He was lost. And yeah. 
But then he had that experience and he survived that experience. And, you know, does he then become radicalized in terms of like, or further radicalized? I mean, he already has like the theory, but it's like now he has some experience. Does he then like go deeper into that, you know, or does he not, right? And does he pivot and go the other direction? Because he was like, oh, that that wasn't good, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm very torn at him because like I, even the word radicalized, I I want to push back on a little bit. Like not not saying you're wrong, but it's just not quite what I'm seeing because what I see is someone who, like the clone trooper, to me is such a big deal because like yeah, he grew up idolizing soldiers. He grew up or idolizing the Republic, who was fighting for like you know truth, justice, in the American way in 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 their eyes, kind of things. And he he becomes a cop. And his focus there isn't about anything like, oh, this is rebels. His focus is like two people got killed. And that's mm-hmm. bad. And what I saw was that he was – he was willing to buck the system. But it, it, to me what it felt like is he comes out of – especially after we saw all the stuff with his mother especially and how much pressure she puts on him. Um, to me, he's not much – like in some ways I feel like this is the moment where he's most disillusioned with the Empire because of the whole like he was doing what he he thinks the Empire is supposed to be, law and order for good, you know, which we all know is crap and he belie- he bought into it. Maybe that's the radicalized part. But, you know, he had this experience now of like he was the one who was like, no, I'm not going to listen to my superior officer who just wanted to ignore these murders. I want to find out what happened. I want to investigate it. And then I want to take a SWAT team and go take care of it. And as you said, Paul, like I think he had no idea what he was getting into there, which is not to defend him, just, just sure, what yeah. it was. No, it's just he didn't. And now he's basically been fired because he cared too much about what he thinks the Empire is supposed to care about. So I, I, I think you're absolutely right, Danielle, that he could like have a negative experience. He could definitely become radicalized. He's at the point where I think he very easily could become radicalized. But I think he's also had a real eye-opening moment of like – Oh, the Empire isn't what I was always told it is. So maybe this is a different thing. Yeah. I, I think I want to rescind radicalized just briefly. You've convinced me. I think indoctrinated by an authoritarian regime, which to me is radicalized because it's like it's such a ridiculous worldview to me. But it's like mm-hmm. it's actually really common, you know, right. and it's like the one that embraces the structure that exists as opposed to wants to create a new structure or overthrow that structure. So – yeah, I just wanted to copy edit yeah. myself there. Proceed. Um, I was going to say that I I kind of hope he doesn't defect. Um, I want him to be a cautionary story. I want him mm. to yeah. be a, this is a man who could have done good and instead does wrong. And um, because I think that that would be quite a unique take yeah. on a character yeah. like him because we have Callus who did wrong and then did good. And, you know, we have Reva who did, you know, was good, did wrong in an attempt to do good and is now like hopefully on her way to doing better. And Mm -hmm. I would just, I really want, and I wanted that for Reva. Like I did, I did not want her to be a fully bad. I want, I want Cyril to be that like, no, he's not going to turn good he's gonna make the wrong choices and because you know star wars is so much about choice like that is to me alongside hope the the crux of star wars is the choices that we make and what they lead us to and i think that 
seeing him make those choices would be really profound. I won't be mad if he does defect because I'd love a good Mm -hmm. defect story, but uh, I do think it would be really powerful if he didn't. I I think you're right. Like I, V for Vendetta is one of my favorite movies and the cop who defects in that sort of defects, but but basically kind of switch sides. I've been, I've been thinking I want Cyril's story to be like his, but I really like what you're saying too. And I think like, especially because he was in this sort of like diet empire part there could be someone who comes along it's like no 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 no. but if it was a real empire running yeah. things and it mm-hmm. wasn't this rent-a-cop thing then you would get to have the law and order you want yeah um and i think paul what you said you said kind of helped me clarify about i think we were talking about with radicalization and and maybe we're using the word differently i'm not sure to me like radicalize is the kid who's now starting to read internet forums yeah. about like you know in defense of kyle rittenhouse mm-hmm. and, and and all that kind of stuff and and I mean even and but even going further like he's starting to think about you know like what you know supporting like the killers and stuff like that. To me, Cyril is the eighteen year old who proudly signs up for the U.S. Marines, mm. right? Which is to me like it's a different. It's not what I would even quite call radicalization yet, but it's definitely I think indoctrination, mm. and it's it's making a choice that I think is really wrong. But where I think ten years ago I would be very I was like oh you're in the military what's wrong with you, mm. and now I'm much more like. I don't think people should be in the military, but I get the combination of manipulation and indoctrination, and it's the only opportunity people have. And so I kind of see Cyril more in that kind of a light. But but yeah, it's, I, I, I think he's a, the fact that we all have different views of it, I think, is a sign to the really good writing and that we don't – he's not a character we can understand in five minutes. He's a very complex character. Yeah, and just there's a lot we don't know yet, right? And we don't yeah. know what choices he's going to make. Um, and I, I think – I. I really like your point, Danielle, that like – like I, I think sort of what you're getting is like you need to see some of the stories of like how people end up making the bad choices. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like because we always see the characters who's all, who've already chosen that and then they just do the bad things yeah. and that's what right. we expect of them. But like actually having a character at a fork in the road – and having them choose like, no, I'm, I'm going to do the thing you don't want me to do, yeah. you know, kind of like what Skeen did, even though it's very different. That's the scum and villainy, yeah. right? That's not the empire. He chose the third mm-hmm. road. Yeah. But like it, I, th- I think there's power in that in seeing how someone, you know, can be be at a crossroads and, and not go for redemption, right? In, in our eyes, right? And um, and so this show is clearly showing one choice, one character moving towards the rebellion, towards, you know, I'm going to try and do something about the Empire in a, in a getting rid of it way, or at least doing some damage to it. And having, I think the parallel story, the natural parallel story would be someone choosing the opposite. So I, I think that would probably result in a more powerful, more like just like a broader story, right? That kind of tells more of what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really true because I think the, the fact that we have built sympathy for him – and grant, granted, I feel like I have a lot more sympathy for him than I think a lot of fans do <laughs> or at least understanding if not sympathy. Sure, yeah. But yeah, I feel like that – but giving you that character you feel a lot of sympathy for and then watching him like fall yeah. and, and being like, I hate these making these decisions. I'm losing sympathy for him but I, I understand why he is. Right. Yeah, it, it – it, because what it then does is I imagine that if it goes the direction you're talking about, Danielle, by the end of the show, if Cyril does the equivalent of flying a TIE fighter into a meteor storm, we're going to know why he does it. Yeah. Mm, you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. going to help us like 
oh, I love how this all ties together. Because, yeah, Because yeah. then we can look back and be like, that's maybe the TIE fighter pilots in other series. Right. Maybe Something they had like a that, story yeah. that was somewhat similar in some yeah. regards. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I can keep asking you if you have one more thing to do, but we're going to cut it off. Uh, do you want to kind of uh, wrap this up? So let me just quickly ask, uh, Danielle, for people who are hearing you for the first time, uh, what what we say is uh, – uh, so, Danielle, for people hearing your voice for the first time, they want to get to follow more of your content, where can they go? TikTok, uh, at Written in the Star Wars, and Twitter, at DannyS394. All right. Mr. Paul Hoppy. Yeah. I'm uh, Zen Madman on all the places like Twitter and Twitch and maybe YouTube, but I'm probably going to delete my Twitter and maybe, I don't know. We'll see. But you can he look does for this me. every six months. <laughs> I've never said I was going to delete my Twitter before. I just, <laughs> I, I use the feed the eliminator. So like you don't actually uh-huh. see me. I, I have to say, like, I actually looked at Twitter last night for like a half second. I'm like, spoilers. No. <laughs> because I got I got waylaid. It was like twelve oh seven. I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Why am I not watching Andor? So I'm like, okay, let me go watch Andor. I go put it on in the I guess living room, and then like Lee wakes up and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching Andor. I'm like, do you want to watch it? Yeah, okay. So then we go for a walk, and then we come back, and then make a little food, and then we sit down to do it. And like I look at, I'm like, now it's an hour late. People have already finished it. <laughs> Way behind schedule. Yeah. So the moral of the story is like, just watch right at midnight when it comes out (laughs) in the West anyway. Yeah. 2 a.m. here. I think it's like, what is it? Like 8 a.m. for you when it comes out? Yeah, it's 8 a.m. In the morning? Yeah. Yeah. So good way to start your day. Um, All right. So uh, thank you all both so much. Um, Of course, I am The Ethical Panda. You can find all the podcasts I do at theethicalpanda.com. You can also find our contact information. Let us know what you think. We love the conversations. And so thank you all for being great fans. And if you come to know us, this is like when we go out. There might be an encore in just one moment. Welcome back, everyone. As you come to learn, we're doing just a little bit after the last ads. And we're we're generally going off on some kind of questions. So, Daniel, I have a question for you. Who are your three favorite, or as we tend to put it, the three who first come to mind as your favorite um, Jedi who have not appeared in live action? Have not appeared in live action. Okay. Mm. Um, Kanan Jarrus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why Kanan? Oh, Kanan is just, I mean, he is what a Jedi should be. He is mm-hmm. like, when you think of the ultimate Jedi for me, that's Kanan because he managed that balance so well. And I think he's probably one of the few Jedi who did, who maintained the balance between doing his duty as a Jedi and respecting his power and acknowledging his power and the responsibility that comes with that power and also loving the woman that he wanted to love. And um, he, he didn't turn into what Anakin turned into he was able to keep that balance. And I think that that's a beautiful thing to watch and that just him accepting everything that was coming Mm -hmm. and knowing what his place was and accepting his place in this galaxy. And like, that is just, I love him so much. Um, I feel like this might kind of be cheating, but Ezra, (laughs) because we're going to, we're going to get him. But yeah, (laughs) but they're two very different characters. Yeah. Um, But Yeah, I love Ezra. I think that it's very interesting that he essentially had a master on both sides. I mean, for a little while, Maul, no matter how short amount of time that was, Maul was a teacher to him and a mentor. And I can't wait to see how that plays out, hopefully, in the future. 
And then a third one that we haven't seen in live action. This is where it gets hard because we've seen a lot of the ones in the Clone Wars and the prequels, just not a lot. I'm going to say, um, oh, oh no, why can't I remember his name? From Dark Disciple. Oh, yes. Um, oh my gosh. Oh God. It's completely I can't remember his name either. Um, streaks across the face. Um, oh my yes, God. I know if you're talking, hold on. He's technically been in out. live action. He was in the, the Phantom Menace, but I don't count it because it's like split second. Mm-hmm. Quinlan? Quinlan Voss, yes. Oh my God. Quinlan he Voss. was, he was oh referenced God. in live action. Right? Yeah. Kels is going to kill me. <laughs> for kidding. I just need to say it is so vindicating to me that you could not remember that name. Oh. Because I forget names all. We, we did an entire episode talking about uh, Stellan Skarsgård and the great things he was doing in the show Andor. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so, so why, why Quinlan? Uh, I think he's really interesting. I love his whole arc in Dark Disciple. I won't spoil it for those who haven't read it, but it's a really great arc. And I was really intrigued by his character when they, he was in the Clone Wars. And I think that, mm. I mean, they brought up his name in Obi-Wan. Uh, and I think there's a good chance at getting him in one of the upcoming projects because of that. And it would make sense. And I just like that he has, you know, he's he wasn't a straight-laced Jedi either. And he's dappled in some stuff. And it would be interesting to see how that affects him. Mm-hmm. as he is like during the rebellion and stuff like that yeah I, one thing i think is interesting is that as, particularly with kanan i said this before like i i agree with you i think he's the best representation of the jedi we've seen particularly in that he takes the jedi code very seriously but he absolutely does not take it literally yeah and i think he kind of like you know he has it like you said he has attachments all over the place but he kind of is a show of like that by the time it gets to yoda and the rest of them they they have they are too rigid about the Jedi code, and that's why Anakin falls. That's a part of why Anakin falls, and and all of this other stuff. Um, Paul, any comments on that three from you? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know Quinlan. I didn't read the Dark Disciple, but from what I understand, uh, sounds like a very interesting character. I'd be interested in seeing that. Um, I I think Kanan and Ezra would both be interesting. Um, I, I think they're both great characters, and I kind of like. I don't want Andor to meet Kanan. Like, I really want Andor to be a rebel who never sees a Jedi. Like, that's it's not deeply important to me, but, like, it is important to me. Because it, it to, to some, on some level, I feel like most of the rebels should not know that there's, like, these Jedi that, like, are still going around. That, like, in A New Hope, like, it seems like people don't really know that's a thing so much, you know? And although they do all go around saying, may the force be with you, but like it, I don't know. I, I think it would be really cool if he shows up in Andor, not in a scene with Andor, you know, like the way that Mon Mothma has showed up so far. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I know Ezra is probably going to show up where he shows up, but I don't know that. I didn't really read that whole article. So, um, <laughs> but like, um, I actually, I want to give three other characters that are not Jedi. Sure. But we'll I'm just going to say one yeah. quick thing on, on, on that what, last point. Yeah. To me, if it makes sense for anyone to show up from that group, it would be Hera. Of course. Because yeah. like Hera is the one who – and as part yeah. of that – And she's name-dropped in, in Rogue One, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would be fine if Andor eventually is taking orders from Fulcrum. 
who is, oh, you sure. know is Ahsoka at yeah. this point. But yeah, he wouldn't know. Yeah, that but he doesn't Jedi. know that. Yeah, no, that would be that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like Ahsoka so. could show up in the show, right? But not, yeah, not in a scene with Andor or something. I think would be interesting. Um, yeah. The three that I'll just rattle off. Are are not Jedi Jedi. Um, they're Ventress. Paul's very bad at the rules. I would really. I, yeah, I don't have to. <laughs> you don't even even ask me the question. So I'm just I'm just you know I'm just coming with it. Um, I'd love to see Ventress live action. I'd love to see Darth Bane live action. And if they ever delve back into the prequel or pre prequel era, I'd like to see Darth Plagueis. Yeah. You know, like it like a Sidious prequel prequel. I think that would be interesting with like Darth Plagueis and everything. I don't know. That's that's my three. Yeah, I, but I love I, your three, and I'm I'm very curious to hear more about um, uh, what's his face when he shows up. Quin- if he shows up, Quinlan Voss. Quinlan, right? yes. Yeah. We'll never Quinlan. forget Quinlan. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I I I have a hope that we're going to see Darth Plagueis in the Count Dooku. Um, oh, Tales animation. Of the Jedi. Isn't that animation? In the, in the, yeah, Tales of the Jedi, because yeah. in in some of the books, a big part of uh, the recruitment of Dooku is actually play just gets started and then introduces him to Sidious. Right. Um, we talked so, about that in the Dooku episode, right? Where I was like, what happened? Exactly. Oh, that's cool. Okay, what about this? <laughs> um, we have now gone way beyond the time we planned for this, and poor Danielle is it's at a crazy hour, so thank you so much. I'll just say the only one who I'll mention, and this is probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but Pong Krell. <laughs> I really well I was I love the character of Pong Krell for three episodes because I think the story of the oh. whole problem is that the Jedi are supposed to like love all creatures, but they're supposed to, as generals, they're supposed to be willing to sacrifice the lives of these people. Right. And I think what we're seeing overall is the general sense of like they become more and more willing to dehumanize the clones, and that's a part of their kind of overall fall. And the idea that that's what happens to Pong Krell is he still thinks he's a Jedi, but he's just come to so devalue these clones. That to me is a beautiful, powerful, incredible, like hate him story, but such a good story. And then when he's just, no, I'm the dark side. I just want power. I'm like, ah, you ruined this great story. (laughs) But, But yeah, so that's what I want. So, all right. Uh, thank you both so much. This has been an incredible episode. Thank you to all those who stuck around and listened. Keep coming back every Wednesday for uh, and our coverage, and we will see you more later. Thank you so much. And yeah, I don't know. Just have a good time. I had a good call out. Be, line, be, but I be kind was... to each other, right? Isn't that, that's yes. how you've been signing off? Because you know, sometimes remember you need that to say each that. of us right. is fighting our own rebellion. Yeah.